0: Hello, and welcome to Minta Dialogue, episode number 202. Today is Sunday, the 3rd of July, 2016, and this interview is Sarah Van Mosel, Chief Commercial Officer at ACAST, a global podcast platform that provides premium hosting, distribution, and monetization services. Previously, Sarah had a senior leadership position at NY Public Radio, dealing with the podcast opportunities at radio. In this interview, we talk about podcasting trends, why podcasting is such a powerful channel, and how brands are and or could use the podcast media. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. Sarah Van Mosel, welcome to the Mind Podcast. So we, um, you and I, didn't pass, did uh, passed across at Gen 2016 in Vienna, Austria. But you were in a panel uh, with my friend Siobhan McHugh and a, another friend I can't remember um, who talking Vanessa about quirk. Vanessa. That's it. Talking about podcasting, and you guys recited on 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 Twitter as the Queens of podcasting. So Sarah, tell us who you are, what you do, and what is your mindset?
1: Sure, sure. So I am a Chief Commercial Officer at ACAST. ACAST is a podcast uh, distribution and monetization platform. Uh, we're headquartered in Stockholm with offices in the UK and now New York. And my primary function is to develop revenue strategies and grow the business here in the US. Prior to ACAST, I was at New York Public Radio or WNYC which is the home of podcast behemoths like Radiolab, Freakonomics, here's the thing with Alec Baldwin. Um, And there I basically built the podcast business strategy, uh, developed uh, dynamic ad insertion for advertising, and uh, generally had a wonderful time working with all the really sharp folks there. So what's my thing? My thing is, um, as a Z-Cast thing, I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about podcasting, um, and, and our whole mission here is to grow the space, is to really sort of give podcasters the ability to not only generate revenue but diversify their revenue. We have a number of ways that we work with, with people that create content, but then also to build the overall space, meaning have listening happen in places where it might not normally happen. Outside of apps, out in the world, in Twitter, in email newsletters, on blogs—you know, everywhere that people are that may be interested in the content—we want them to be able to push, play, and listen. So that's really what we're all about.
0: All right, so I'm going to dig back in, in a moment on uh, on your NPR life, but why should be why should one be passionate about podcasting?
1: Wow, it's really uh, a space where content is free to develop based entirely on what people like, it's almost the most democratic form of content growth, right? Um, The the relationship between the listener and the content creator is a passionate one. It's an intense one, and it's entirely based on authenticity. Um, And and because of that relationship, on the advertising side, you see this insane engagement. You see such effectiveness when done properly. Um, And so as a person who's a fan of, good authentic content doesn't necessarily have to be polished doesn't necessarily have to cost millions of dollars a year it could be two you know interesting people talking to each other that can be as successful as a show that's produced by a professional broadcast team and that's what's so great about it
0: so would you say that in the this intimate space when you have your headphones or earphones plugged into your your ears your bullshit detectors are higher much,
1: much, because you—the it's, its podcasting is a uh, is an active action, is an active activity. You are not passively letting a curated list of music flow over you. You are reaching out for the shows that you want to hear. You are constructing your playlist. These are the choices that you've made, and this is how you want to spend your time as you're running, commuting, doing the dishes, cooking, whatever. So you've, you're mindful about like what you're listening to. And so, you know, that goes hand in hand. What is it that makes you choose those shows? Is it the personality? Is it the format of the show that, like, you know, the perfect podcast could be a number of things, but oftentimes it's a mixture of a great personality that really engages their users. So you care enough to tune back in when you listen to WTF with Mark Maron. Some people really want to hear that intro because they want to catch up on what Mark is doing. How's, he, you know, how's his relationship going? And then they'll listen to the interview. Some people just scoot right past that and go into the interview because they want to hear him sort of genuinely interact with who he's talking to. So I like both of those things, and that's why I listen to him. Also, when you have a perfect format, like Song Exploder, for example, it could be almost anyone hosting that show, but the format is such that you take – a piece of music and you break it into its component parts and find out what went into making that music from the creator. That's amazing. So, you know, whatever piece of music they're highlighting that week, you're going to learn from it if you're a music person and you're into music. So, so those kinds of elements go into, you know, why people are so connected to the shows because they're because of that authentic connection, either to a personality or to a a form that really sort of hits the spot for them.
0: All right. So before, Sarah, you joined ACAST uh, last December, mm-hmm. uh, you're working at a radio station and podcasting comes along as a sort of, uh, I would probably characterize it as a reasonably disruptive component to a, a typical radio station's life. Can you talk Absolutely. us through what, what, what were the sort of the big moments and what allowed for NPR to get back into it and make it more successful at least to get into the podcasting route? Sure, sure. So just a
1: quick um, note on the organizational structure of public radio. New York public radio is separate from NPR in that they're almost competitors. NPR creates content that New York public radio pays them to run on their platforms, um, and they're both out in the marketplace, you know, selling to advertisers and competing with each other in that regard. So, um, New York Public Radio or WNYC was really one of the biggest, most powerful players in the public radio space because they were beholden to no one but themselves and their listeners. Mm-hmm. Whereas NPR was beholden to all of the member radio stations. Uh, just a side note. Um, so, when you are in the number one market and you have a pretty stable radio format like public radio, you are somewhat buffeted from the winds of change in the media industry. Public radio has a history of staying pretty stable when it comes to ratings. Um, But that said, you know, as, you know, as uh, sort of ambitious as our CEO was in terms of growth, uh, it, it was not in sync with what was happening in the marketplace with radio and specifically ad buying in radio because, uh, public radio does underwriting or sponsorship, but it's still soliciting the same advertising dollars from the same entities that are spending on commercial radio. So, what do we do? How do we grow 20% when radio buying is down 13% in our market? What, you know, how do you solve that problem? We happen to have um, some excellent content producers and a very open-minded management team that allowed us to explore how can we, you know, does the marketplace have an appetite for this content? And so part of it was having amazing content with an amazing, um, you know, listener base, being able to say, I know who this listener base is. They're valuable, they're educated, they have, you know, disposable income. But the other half was how do you actually extract all of the listening, all of the revenue from the listening that's happening there before the ad tech became available. It was simply, the host recording a spot or a producer recording a spot into the show, editing it into the show. It was always going to be a part of the show. We call that baked in Mm -hmm. and baked in was fine, but you could only really get the value of each individual episode one at a time. You didn't have the capacity to really in the case of radio lab, for example, which got about six to 7 million listens a month. The listens were not entirely on the new episodes. I would say sixty percent of listening was on the new episodes, and the other forty percent was on the back catalog, because people would, you know, get an episode recommended by a friend, or they would find it online, and they would, you know, they would be in all sorts of different places in its back catalog for their first time. Or people would hear it and then start to binge listen, right? The entire like serial,
0: or exactly, you, know, so you can go back into
1: it. Exactly, and the most popular podcasts in my Uh, experience are ones that have evergreen content. Their shelf life is infinite because they're telling stories or you're learning something. They're not necessarily tied to something newsy or timely. Mm. Daily and newsy do not work on the podcast uh, uh, space as far as I've seen and in my experience. So the shows that we had were definitely weekly to bi-weekly and long shelf life. And so to unlock the revenue there, we had to come up with a way to have the ads be able to rotate into the back catalog and to have multiple campaigns running within the existing catalog because the volume was so much, you know, one episode within five days of release would generate 1.7 million listens. One advertiser may not want to buy all some right. of those in one week. They might want to spread it out over a couple of months. So when, when we sort of set it in our minds to figure out how to unlock that, once we did unlock it, that's when the revenue really, came to the fore. And that's when hmm. all of the budgets were predicated on the growth of podcasting as opposed to the decline of
0: radio. In, in these uh, digital transformative years, there's usually a leap of faith that has to be made somehow. Mm-hmm. What was the leap of faith that you had to go through with your CEO at WNYC? That the dollars would
1: follow the capability. Um, oftentimes, <laughs> and ask any sales manager or anyone that develops budgets just because you have the capacity to make money doesn't mean the money's going to follow so that's really the leap of faith yes i was unlocking millions and millions of impressions but would the demand be there would the money actually follow um i'm getting low battery i might have to anyway uh so i uh i that was my leap of faith that the dollars would follow and they did
0: all right. So, Sarah, that's very cool. What about um, what's going on in podcasting? Give us uh, an update on the trends in podcasting from uh, New York side. Sure, sure. So what we're seeing
1: uh, here at ACAST, and, and we're seeing it because we're actually making it a point to make it happen, is to bring in more diverse voices. Where uh, The podcast space for years has been white men, either public radio style or comedy style, sort of talking to each other. Um, And over the past few years, more and more shows have emerged with women, women of color, people of color, the LGBT community. And as more and more of those shows are surfacing, we're approaching them. It is our sort of mission to say, hey, this is a place where, you know, diverse voices are welcome and bring your new audiences because they're bringing new listeners into the space. It's not like I said, The same sort of people elbowing each other for the same, you know, 24 million US people, you know, people over 12 that are listening in podcast apps. These are new audiences. So lots more voices are coming out. Lots more diversity of content is coming out. And also we're seeing this trend toward, you know, having audio be shareable, right? So instead of, you know, relying on people to find it maybe in the iTunes top 20 chart, people can be in their Twitter feed and see an audio player and say, Oh, this is funny. Or the one of our podcasts, um, another round from Buzzfeed can tweet out, Hey, listen to this part in our show where Hillary Clinton completely chokes on our water because this question was so hard, you know, and boom, engaging people right there where they are, as opposed to hoping that they may get into this app and then find a chart and then subscribe to a thing. So, uh, a diversity of voices and a diversity of ways of accessing the audio is what we're seeing out here.
0: So, um, as you say, it was sort of a little nichey, geeky thing to begin with, and but now, I mean, we seem, it seems to have tipped into a more mainstreamy kind of company. And at the very beginning, we're like, should they even the word podcasting exist? It's a right. it's a dinosauric, a horrible technical word. Uh, are, are we beyond that? And is podcasting mainstream? Where, where do we sit in terms of numbers?
1: I think podcasting is definitely mainstream. When you have, you know, 56 million people in a month engaging in an activity um, and you consider the Super Bowl only had 114 million people listening. I think that's pretty mainstream. Um, so so now what? Right. Um, it's, it's a big group of people, but it's a very specific group of people. I think the next step is to do a couple of things, learn as much as we can about this audience, how they behave, what they want, what they prefer, how they let the marketplace know their preferences by, you know, listening, not listening, switching over to something else, Mm -hmm. you know, engaging with the ads. That's another area because I come from the business side where, um, I, I, I'm excited to see what comes out of the research there, A-B testing. One of my crusades this coming year is to engage the creative community to really come up with a form factor for an ad that is built just for podcasts because I believe that radio ads don't work on podcasts, not in terms of effectiveness but in terms of they're really breaking that experience because when you think about it, the the earbuds are in your body. (laughs) When you have creative that is built for catching your attention in a busy environment, that's a misfit. So I'm going to sort of make it my, um, you know, mission this year to really sit down at a table with a bunch of great creative thinkers and say, if you could just invent the perfect form factor for a podcast ad, what would that be? And in some cases, it's custom content. We're seeing that more and more. And that's a really cool space that's bubbling up and it really sort of blurs the line between an ad and content in an interesting way, um, as long as they're transparent about what it is. Um, And also, though, I I don't think we should forget the meat and potatoes of the space, which is the recorded ad. Like, that's important to not get wrong, because that's where you can turn off a lot of people if you do
0: it wrong. Yeah, I'm sort of a fan of the... The author says it kind of uh, ad, as opposed to these pre-recorded stuff. Because, let's say you're, you you have different recordings that you're going to insert, mm-hmm. Some, so every listener is going to get a different ad because of you know the the way that the ad the, the sponsor has decided it. it. It can be somewhat interruptive, and the the challenge is um, how to make that authentic and and sort of natural to the le- le- user experience. Exactly. One of the things that you and I were chatting about before is um, discovery. And, mm-hmm. and so you know, I was just listening to you and I was thinking, well, what about if we, if I could plug in um, great podcasts to uh, walk outdoors to, great podcasts to drive to, uh, or m- must be other ways that people would like to discover podcasts. Have you been mm-hmm. exploring that as well?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it comes with data, Right. So you need a combination of machine learning and, and human analysis to really get to the heart of, you know, how to curate a list. Now, it's chicken and an egg thing because on the one hand, podcasting is so great because it's not curated and people are taking that extra step to go and find what they want. So they really firmly want what they want because they, they work so hard to get it, right? Would that get watered down if they were put in a more passive role and served up? something that mm-hmm. we think they would like.
0: Download, download this list of 10.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So a, part, a big part of me thinks no, most people would actually appreciate the help because it is a lot of work and it might grow the space because, you know, the more you can um, give someone something that you, based on their behavior, in a very sort of Spotify-esque way, like right. a moods way or a, a you know, um, well, Discover Weekly way, which is great in the Spotify experience um, that, you know, I think that that's something we're all working toward and um, what it takes is a whole lot of data about this person, is listening to these shows and this person is listening to these shows and what do they have in common and what are the differences and what do you think you could recommend? Is it peer-to-peer or is it simply what are the elements, You know, breaking down the genome of the podcast, so to speak? What are the elements that make up the show? What other shows have similar elements or at least 90%? And then let's recommend that. So we're taking both of those approaches, actually, as we evolve our product.
0: So that's maybe from a content standpoint uh, interesting, mm-hmm. but it's also going to be interesting or important for the ad space mm-hmm. to have them th- able to understand the data of the listener profile and whether my format and my content and my product or service that I'm trying to promote fits in. That's true,
1: and it's going to mean that the rise of the networks is going to be even more important, right? Because when you have a collection of 800 to 1,000 shows, you'll have a richer product offering for someone who wants to listen and discover, than you know, someone that has a handful of shows, right? And so, I think networks will emerge that have a personality, uh, much like, um, you know, HBO Go and Netflix you know, you subscribe to multiple viewing apps or services because of the kind of content you know you're going to get from them. And I think right now, you know, podcasting is sort of following in the footsteps of digital video, but we're at the very early stages where there's just a lot of syndicated content available on platforms back in the Hulu days. And soon you'll see the networks emerge with their own sort of personality, their own unique original content that speaks to who they are and why you would want to subscribe to that network as opposed to another one.
0: All right. So, in um, in your experience, because you see so many of this, how do you determine or what do you how do you qualify a great podcast?
1: I think that's very personal uh, to the to the listener. A great podcast for me makes me care about the host uh, in the such that I want to tune in again and hear what they have to say, either because they have a unique point of view or they're entertaining, um, or I learn something. You know, uh, the time that I spend on the podcast, I'll come away with something of value, because it's was valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be purely entertainment. You know, they made me laugh. And I know that they will make me laugh 99.9% of the time, and that's a pretty high you know, target to hit. So, again, it's worth my time because I'll get that joy
0: out of it. Yeah, so, so maybe I need to add a little bit more flavor and personality in my show, message to message to Minter. Um, so, all right, what about um, uh, the, the world of branding and podcasts? So for media, you're a radio show, uh, you're a television show. This is obvious. You are in the media agency world. Uh, So, you know, Mitch Joel, uh, you're these bunch of white guys coming out there doing their thing. But what about brands? Do you see any brands? And what are the opportunities for brands to get with the program?
1: Absolutely. I think this is probably one of the most exciting uh, emerging spaces in audio right now, especially in the podcast space. We've seen some great First shots out of the barrel with um, GE's The Message and the Panoply group. They were first in to do that. Panoply actually specializes in this kind of thing. Um, We're also seeing um, great work from Gimlet now. They just launched one, and forgive me, I forget the title, but they did it with eBay. uh, And it's about work and startups, which is lovely, which is right in their sweet spot. Um, We host one from a group called um, uh, BetaWorks. It's called The Intern, and The Intern is a podcast about a young woman that works at Betaworks, and Betaworks is basically a startup incubator, and so she's talking about the companies that they are incubating, which is kind of a PR play for Betaworks, which is brilliant because it's a really engaging podcast, and she's incredibly appealing as a host, like a 20-something girl in New York that just landed, and this is her story. So all kinds of really rich ways, and the, the, the... common denominator in these that I'm calling out are that the content's good. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not just shilling a product. They're getting their brand values across in a way that has, um, high value for the listener, Mm -hmm. right? So not only do they understand that this is coming from this brand. Okay. I think most podcast listeners, particularly millennials are open to the fact that a brand wants to market to them in this way, but you're only allowed to market in that way if it's good. Right. If you fall flat, you're going to fall really flat and you're going to get a lot of blowback. So be careful as you're stepping out onto the ice. All
0: right. So if I'm a brand, I've decided that I want to get into podcasting. I've got great content. I've got some uh, values that are aligned, emotion, hopefully somewhere in there. What about distribution? How do I get it out there? I I mean, do I need to be putting it only on my site or should I be thinking socially uh, in another way?
1: Yeah. And this, this is one of the things that ACAST is most... Uh, mostly known for, I mean, in addition to having a platform that hosts it and distributes it, you also need a way to get it out there. We work with publishers who like uh, Business Insider and Entertainment Weekly and now Vogue who not only have it on our player and put the RSS feed everywhere so that all the apps can have it, but also integrate it into their copy on their sites. You know, if you're talking about something that you mentioned in your podcast You're putting an inline player on your site so that people can hear that right then. You're also tweeting out not only the whole episode, but moments from the episode so that, you know, we're advising people who make content to actually build in shareable moments, maybe four shareable moments per podcast so that you can tweet those out and gain audience. And we've seen data that shows that when you tweet out a moment, you actually increase and sustain audience that you know, more audience than you had when they first pushed play. So it's a a very sort of specific strategy for building audience and engaging with people outside of apps. Mm. And that means you need embeddable and shareable players at your disposal to do that.
0: So when I listen to you at ACoST, are you more focused on the the B2B user experience or on the end user user experience? I mean, of course, you don't want to lose one without the other, but how do you... How do you start a Yeah, I mean, to, to date, in our evolution, we've been focusing on the B2B. We've been
1: focusing on working with podcasters, getting them on the platform, and getting advertisers' revenue to those podcasters so that they can grow and have that ecosystem blossom. We've moved into the next step of our evolution with the launch of Acast Plus, which is uh, the ability for the podcasters to do an in-app purchase with their users. So let's say you have a podcast and you have a following, And you did a little side project or you have this other thing that you want to offer them for like $2. You're not keeping your back catalog behind a paywall. You're offering them something else that they have the ability to pay for within the app. And so you can diversify your revenue. You have ad revenue on your regular podcast and you also have this other thing that you do. That's, you know, that's the point in our evolution where now we're sort of beckoning users to come to the app to see what these podcasters have on offer so that they can engage with their podcasts in this way. Um, and so we've just started that evolution. It's been very successful in Sweden and the UK. We've just started to roll it out in the US, so we're, we're watching it very closely.
0: We, we talked about discoverability, and of course one of the challenges, like with video, audio is not so searchable uh, by itself right. on Google. So how what, what are your approaches to that?
1: we're working very closely with a group called pop-up archive out of uh, San Francisco. Um, and Wooten is the CEO and she has taken it upon herself to embrace podcasting in particular. And, um, she and our team, our dev team are, um, you know, working together to transcribe the audio, make it searchable online and sort of surface, um, you know, the kinds of content that people will enjoy based on, you know, having these data points, you know, seeing, okay, you can't tell that something is a comedy podcast unless you can have these markers. Um, You can't tell that this is about, you know, women's issues unless you have these keywords. So they're helping us uh, take a more sophisticated approach to just tagging the episodes with a general term.
0: Right. Well, the other thing that comes to mind is to the extent that you transcribe accurately, which remains Mm -hmm. a challenge, how usefully... Searchable uh, is text that's spoken. So you and I are speaking. Right. We're talking and we're yibber yabbering, and, li- and then we're talking about that, and that's going to end up in the transcript. Well, Google's search mechanisms will they pick up that text in the same way they might pick up a an HTML properly tagged H1 in your exactly. blog post, which has a superior tagging or searchability than just you know banal text.
1: Right. I think it's because it's such early days in the transcription space, particularly with podcasts. um, We're going to see what rules emerge with Google. Right. They've got their own toe in the pool of podcasting. And so we're watching that very closely. Um, You know, and what are the more favorable um, instances or what are the more favorable conditions that need to exist in order for your content to surface when someone does a search. I think that's yet to be determined. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Google on the one hand, you know, is dipping their toe in with Google play, but on the other hand, when we sort of talk to them directly about supporting the ad tech side of audio, we're not so very interested. Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. a long row <laughs> road to there. Um, and, and, and while the big, digital entities like Facebook, like Apple, like Google are all sort of, and Spotify uh, and Pandora uh, are sort of circling around. Not many of them have engaged in a way that will help those of us that are in the heart of it pivot to support it.
0: It must be awfully interesting for you to try and figure out who your allies and who are (laughs) not your allies. (laughs) Daily.
1: No, I mean, the podcast uh, industry is still – um, you know, friendly enough. We joke about it. Every year we have this, every probably nine months, we have this summit of folks that are kind of like in the space. And the first year we had it, there were 31 people this year. We had it, there were 55 and they included the biggies. And so every time but we all show up and, and hug each other. Cause we've all either worked together in like right. previous jobs or, you know, so it's a very sort of welcoming and friendly space. And, and, and there's a, a willingness, even though there's competition and believe me, there's competition, <laughs> um there's this overall um sort of fellowship of like we want to grow this thing this thing is going to grow what do we need to do to do it and that's really it makes it a pleasure to work
0: in the space frankly well if i might push back except when it comes to agreeing on a standard
1: yeah no believe me i'm in the middle of that and it's i, I that's really the clash of two ways of thinking um, there's the old school, dare I say it, that have, you know, emerged and have been working in the space since podcasting developed 10 years ago. And, you know, their business model is based on volume and they are paid based on what they deliver. And then you have this newer wave, um, the public radio group, which I started that initiative to get them all to agree to uh, the same way of filtering the uh, audio uh, servers in order to count. And. Uh, they, you know, this way is a way that is much more responsible. And I think, and ACAS follows that path as well. And I'm in charge of the group that is going to push that forward this year in the U.S. IAB. Um, and it's really not a question of, is the way you count correct? It's a question of, we just all need to count the same, right? We can get into the minutiae, and believe me, we do, of what you count, what you don't count, what's fair, blah, blah, blah doesn't matter it just has to be the same so that when a buyer buys a hundred thousand impressions from podcast a and a hundred thousand from podcast b they're getting the same amount of stuff so that they know this campaign was more effective on podcast b because i got the same amount of stuff and i spent a little less money and i got more for what i spent but that's at the end of the day that's what the buyers need and so it's just it has to happen
0: and I, I don't want to entice you to bad mouth, but Apple's iTunes uh, could be so much better.
1: It could, like I said, bless them. I, I wish that they would they would come out with a very strong point of view on the direction that they would like to go. Because again, we would be happy to pivot and you know and do what we need to do in order to support that. Um, with it, you know, in the absence of that. What we're doing is everything in our power to get listening happening outside of that environment, so they're less of
0: a factor in the future. All right, super. All right, so Sarah, you've we've done our a half hour uh, allocated time. You've mentioned a number of podcasts. Uh, you can, if you have one, you'd like to shout out and say this is my fave, uh, but otherwise, uh, tell us how people can track you down and follow you.
1: Sure, sure. Okay, so right now, I'm I'm really loving. Um, you know, the, the ongoing, uh, uh, podcast, uh, another round. It's, it's a favorite of mine. It is two women of color talking about what it's like to be not only a woman, but a black woman in this world in pop culture and just funny as anything, quality, quality, uh, content. And it's an example of the kind of voices that are emerging and are going to be more prevalent as, as we move forward. Um, to get in touch with me, I am, uh, Sarah VM on Twitter at VM. I'm also sarah s-a-r-a-h at acast.com
0: spectacular well I'll put all these show notes as I'm busy writing down into in the links in the show notes and Sarah thank you so much for coming on the show my
1: pleasure thank you
0: thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show you'll find the show notes on themindset.com that's mindset with a y where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers.
2: Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way. To rid me of the gray and heal i mm-hmm. you Your favorite show.